I mentioned in this passage, I read this passage, there's a man named Azariah who was a prophet of God. So for the rest of this message, I am going to take, uh, play the role of Azariah and tell the story through the prophet. So, hello, my name is Azariah. It's good to be here at your church today. This is a strange world you have, by the way. But there's good things in my world, and there was bad things. And there's good things in your world, and there's terrible things. But the same God has ruled them all, all along. So this morning, I want to talk about my king, my king named Asa. He was a good king. And I'm so glad that God uh, anointed him as king, and most importantly, that Asa responded to the call of God to lead wisely, to lead the people in the way of the law of Moses in in the way of the one true God because so much of the world was not doing that. As a Jewish boy, we all grew up learning the law of Moses and law of Moses 101 is the Ten Commandments. Law of Moses begins with, with these ten rules and on the screen here we have just the first two and I want to begin by focusing on those because look what it says, the first commandment You shall have no other gods before me. Simple, straightforward, one God, that's it. Second rule is, has more detail than any of the other Ten Commandments because it's a command and then there's also a blessing and a curse attached to it. But it says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above on the earth beneath, or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their sin of the parents for the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So this is, this is so basic, this is so important, this is so true that we have this rule to follow as God's people to know that there's only one God and worship no other God. So how do you think my people did with that one rule? Oh, not good. It wasn't good for a long time. There's these places in, in my nation that have, been, have the title high places. And it usually is a literal high place. It's, it's on a hilltop, on a mountain, something like that. And most often it's very secluded. Because what took place at the high place was all kinds of abhorrent worship practices Breaking the very rule that we all learned from the time we were four years old or younger. There's only one God, worship Him only. And yet, again and again and again, my people are choosing to worship these false gods. Some of them, and these weren't the only ones, but there was Asherah, the goddess of fertility. There was Baal, the god of the rain and the sky. There was Chemosh, the the Moabite god of conquest. And then, if that weren't enough, there was Molech, the Ammonite god of conquest. And each of these gods had a little bit more to it than that, so I'm, I'm making it fairly simple. But why would the people called by God to follow Him and worship Him only be going this direction? 
Why would they bow down to Baal and Asherah? And, and the, what took place at these high places was, was just horrible. I won't even give you the detail just to say that it was, it was these sexual practices and, and just all kinds of even sacrifice of humans, even children sometimes was taking place here to somehow appease these gods. What entered into our minds and our hearts that we would do such a thing? Fertility, rain, and conquest. You still need those today, right? Fertility in the sense of sexuality, relationships, marriage, children, and, and with, with my people, there was also the, the fertility of, of our animals to make sure that their flocks were growing. That was really important to us. We, we are an agrarian people. We, we have animals. We grow crops. So if the land isn't fertile, if there is no rain, and if we're not being blessed with, with children in our homes to help us do the work, or the, the pens aren't filling up with, with the sheep and with the goats and with the cattle, then we're in trouble. And if, if God isn't helping us, or if we start to think that God isn't helping us, or if we get impatient with God, or we want shortcuts, well, let's just try another God. Keep in mind that in my day, there were no atheists. Everybody believed in some God, mostly God's plural, and there was many of them to choose from. Most of the world thought we were quite strange that we only had one God and, and, and taught and, and believed that there is only one God. They thought we were nuts. So it, was, it became very tempting, especially during hard times, for the people of God to look at their neighboring countries and nations and say, well, things are going a little better over there. Who's their God? Well, maybe we should just try this God out a little bit, but we'll do it in secret. We'll, we'll develop these high places on the mountains and the hills where no one's going to see it, and they won't report it to the priest or anything, and we'll see how that works out for us. And that was part of the draw. But what about today in your world? Of course, sexuality, relationships, marriage, and family are important to you. Rain is still just as important as ever. I know there's an amazing technology that I can't even begin to understand or describe that I've seen in your world compared to mine. But I also know that in spite of all your technology, you still can't create a rainstorm. You still can't create snow except to ski on. That's not much in the overall scheme of things. You can't stop a snowstorm or a rainstorm or a flood. You have to deal with it. So in that way, the world is no different. My world and your world are the same. We are at the mercy of the weather. Now, you may not be turning to a false god of some form and, you know, doing sacrifice and horrible rituals to get that god's attention, but are there other things you're depending on before the one and true god when the weather isn't working in your favor? And it's more than just weather. It is the food that you need to eat. Now, I don't know if there's any farmers among this group today. I'm not, I don't think there are, but we all understand at some level that 
the food that we eat has to be grown, and it can't grow if there's no rain and water to grow it with. So drought is still a problem from time to time. So are we trusting in God to provide enough rain? Are we trusting God for fertility? Are we trusting God for conquest? Conquest is a broad word. I'm thinking about war, defense of a nation, fear of war, weapons, guns, and gun laws, which I understand are a a very controversial thing in your nation. No matter how strong a nation, no matter how many weapons they have, They need to still trust in God first and not in the gun and not in the the nuclear weapon, not in the size of the army or anything else, but first and foremost in God. I hope you're doing okay with that in your nation. So these aren't just ancient desires that people were turning to their gods for in my time, the, the false gods that is. Today, and the prophets speak of this, the idols may not be Baal and Ashtoreth, but they, all, they could be idols of the heart, which some of my fellow prophets wrote about. And that is the biggest challenge, the idol of the heart. In my day, there wasn't much cash. It was beginning to, to show up here and there, but most of the economy in what you would call Old Testament times Old Testament times was barter-based. You would trade your good and service for someone else's, and you know, hopefully it was an even trade and fair, and that's what you would do. By the time Jesus came on the scene, especially when the Roman Empire took hold, money began to be a big thing, which is why Jesus spoke about money so often, about how Where your treasure is, where your money is, your heart will be also. You can't serve both God and money. There's one of the idols that I'm sure you have to battle. How about technology, to depend on the technology more than you depend on God? All of these are examples of how idols are still here. They just look a whole lot different. Now back to my day for a moment. Don't worry, this chart won't be on the quiz. All right. But I wanted to show you just the colors here. I know it's small print, but in, in my nation, Israel, we, we began, of course, with Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and all his children and eventually going to Egypt and being enslaved in Egypt, being set free from Egypt under the leadership of Moses and the Exodus, wandering for 40 years and then under Joshua, taking hold of the land that God promised us and dividing that land among the 12 tribes of Israel. And after that, there was the time uh, that we call the time of the judges. We didn't have kings, but God would raise up different judges to, to lead the people back to right worship. But we didn't have a king, and we prayed and asked for a king, and God gave us one. His name was Saul. That was the first king. And the second king after him was David, and then David's son Solomon was the third king. Only those three kings were the king of Israel as one nation. After Solomon, there was basically a civil war, and the nation got divided into north and south. And for the rest of the Old Testament... We have the story of either Judah, the southern kingdom from which I am from, from which my king Asa is king over, and we have to our north 
they maintained the name Israel. Now, on this little chart here, on these list of names, it's either red or green. The green means that particular king, in the eyes of the Lord, was a good king, an obedient king. He did what was right in the eyes of, the, of God. They weren't perfect, and they all had their, their little quirks here and there, But because even David had big issues in his life. But nonetheless, he was known as a man whose heart was after God. And other kings also, including Asa, my king, were known to be good kings. Look at all the ones in red. Even among Judah, all of these kings did evil in the eyes of the Lord and led the people. And many of them participated in the exact worship practices I just described at these high places. As king. And as the king goes, so goes the nation. Now notice to my north, the northern kingdom Israel. Notice the lack of green. Not one king in Israel's history, Israel as the, the separate northern kingdom, not one of them did right in the eyes of God. And God kept on sending them prophets. When you read the prophecies, the prophets of your Old Testament, many of those prophets were sent to the northern kingdom, Israel, to call them back. But one king after the other, and as a whole, most of the people, there were exceptions, individuals and such, in the nation that still loved God and still wanted to serve God rightly, but most, for the most part, they did not. And that's why, you probably can't see that, but the, the southern kingdom lasted until 587 B.C., the northern kingdom was destroyed and taken over in 709 B.C., which was much earlier. You know, think backwards on the dates. So this was, this was a struggle for us as God's people. Something to take notice of, too. If you're familiar with a, a prophet, he doesn't have a book by his name, but he's a very famous prophet in the Old Testament named Elijah. Elijah was one of those prophets that was sent to the north, to the king. And in his day, the, king was, the king's name was Ahab, and his wife Jezebel, the queen, was, was really the one that wore the pants on the household, to be honest with you. And um, she was in charge, and Ahab just let her do what she wanted. And what she wanted to do was bring in Baal worship everywhere, and she did that. And you may know the story, I won't give you the detail, but there was a contest then called that between the prophets of Baal and the one prophet of God to see who could light a fire without matches, okay? <laughs> or any other way, just light it by prayer. And, and God, the true God, won that battle and the prophets of Baal were destroyed. But here's the, here's the key thing about that story in relation to what I'm telling you now. What happened before that contest on Mount Carmel is that Elijah warned Ahab and Jezebel, if they didn't stop their ways, there would be a drought. And they wouldn't stop their ways, and they didn't, so there was a drought. That drought lasted three and a half years. The god, the main god that they worshipped, that is Ahab and Jezebel, was the god of rain. And the one true god said, oh, you're going to worship that phony? Okay, I'm just going to turn the clouds off until you get it. And that's exactly what he did. 
very similar to what happened with Moses when he went before the Pharaoh and said to let the people go. And you remember the 10 plagues? Every one of those 10 plagues was associated with a god the Egyptians worshipped. Oh, you worship frogs? Here you go. Have some frogs. Oh, you worship your cattle? Oh, they're going to die. And right on down the line, night and day, every one of those plagues humiliated an Egyptian god. And so it was the same here with Ahab and and Elijah and, and what God showed there. But this is just a real quick peek at the good, the bad, and the ugly of the kings of Judah to the south and Israel to the north. Now remember, I'm speaking about Asa. He's the third king on that list in in the, the nation of Judah. And he was a good king. In fact, this is the summary statement about him in, in 2 Chronicles 14. He removed the high places that I just described and incense altars in every town in Judah. And the kingdom was at peace under him. Those two things came together. As the leader, so goes the nation. And as the leader of the nation tore down the the false worship and the horrible practices that were happening, the nation was at peace all the years of his reign. War did not come onto their land. As we'll get to in a moment, there were still threats of war and battles that that ensued, but the war didn't come to them. How did Asa stop the worship of other gods? He did so decisively and completely. It was clear. If you read in 1 Chronicles 14, it says that he removed it, he smashed it, he cut it down. He didn't go into those places and say, all right, folks, you got that high place with all that worship junk you're doing there. All right, would you please stop? All right, have a good day. (laughs) That wasn't going to do it. He wiped it out. He destroyed it. He was decisive and complete in removal of the evidence of that or the opportunity, at least initially, to carry out these worship practices. So then how did he maintain the peace? You can imagine some of these people who had gotten accustomed to their worship practices and probably even liked it to some extent. Were they happy about it? No. And if Asa just left the town with his little army and demolition crew and just assumed that, you know what, they're, they're, they're going to stop now. They're not going to do this anymore. They're going to be good boys and girls. That probably wasn't realistic. But he did something very bold. Instead of putting them at a distance and, 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 and kind of shunning them for a while because of the, what they did, he did the opposite. He helped them. He built up those who had failed. Wherever there was one of those high places, the town nearby, he fortified the town in a military sense. He made sure they were strong and ready. It was a very violent world in those days. And although there were nations and the borders were a little muddy here and there, and even between the north and the south sometimes in Israel and Judah, but each individual town could certainly was, could be attacked 
and, and by a neighboring town or, or a band of thieves or something like that. So security was important. So, so Asa took the high places down. He went to the town leaders and says, we're going we're gonna to build up your defense system here. We're going to fortify this place because I want to help you. So you won't be so tempted to turn to Moloch and Chamash to protect you. You need to turn to the one and only true Lord God and ask him to help you. And he has answered that prayer because I, as his anointed king, am here, and I am going to help you in, in, on behalf of the Lord God. And he did that. That was a great leadership moment for my king Asa. He also prepared for battle. Now, even though the, play, the nation was at peace, he wasn't going to assume that that would never happen again. He was prepared. He was ready. He wasn't going to go and start a fight, but if a fight came to him, he was prepared. He didn't make the mistake of saying, oh, God, you got this. I can just sit back and do nothing. <laughs> no, it tells us in the eighth verse in chapter 14 that he had hundreds of thousands of soldiers. They were ready. They were trained in case something happened. And indeed, in time, it did happen. And, and what about when the peace is threatened? Well, he didn't say, well, I have all these soldiers. His first instinct wasn't to say, all right, guys, let's go. Let's, let's, let's go to battle. Before any battle was started, before any spear was thrown or sword and shield were struck together, he asked God to help him win the battle. And God did. And Scripture tells us that basically the Lord won the battle. Now, exactly how that transpired, we're not told. But what happened was... The, the army, this huge army, was able to pursue and chase the enemy and destroy them. But the, the, the battle didn't come to them on their land. So their, their people, their homes were still safe. And God won the battle because the king prayed. Even though he had a big army to depend on, he prayed. How's your country ready for battle? I understand the United States of America has more weapons than any nation in the history of this planet, by far. Do you depend on God or on those weapons? That's a good question to ask. Because to a certain degree, as I just stated, it is good for a nation to be prepared for battle. They need to be. It's an evil world. There's trouble all around this world, and there always will be to a certain extent. So we can't naively think, oh, it won't happen to us. But at the same time, can we get so over-dependent on the weaponry, we kind of leave God behind somewhere. Oh, Lord, we got this. You know, we got all these nuclear bombs. And we got these big armies. We got this technology. We got the bombers and the drones and all this other stuff that we have. And yet, if we leave God out of the equation, even we, as powerful as we are, could be destroyed, could fall in some, some day, some way. I don't want that. No, none of you want that. But let's not leave God behind. And, and um, I, I don't know our president's prayer life. I won't pretend to say it's good or bad. I just know that the president, as the main leader, needs to pray. And I hope that he is. And I hope that you're praying for him. Because that is a really important position in our world, not just our nation. Uh, another thing Asa did to maintain the peace, he listened to advice. And God blessed me, Asa, with the opportunity to advise him and gave me something good to say to him. And it was such a joy to, 
to, to know that, that the words that God gave me bless someone. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been able to share with someone, in a, a friend, or maybe in, in a teaching setting of some form, you know, what, what God put on your heart to say about a scripture, about a godly principle of some form, and you taught it and someone else learned from it. They were blessed by it, and they told you so. Isn't that a great feeling? And it's, it's not about me, the prophet, or the teacher, or the preacher. It's about the message that God gives us to share, and we need to share it, and we should share it. But I, I just want to repeat a brief part of that back in the 15th chapter, and this is what God instructed Asa to say to the king. The end of that message is seventh verse. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Hold on to that verse. What battles do you have right now? What leadership areas of your life are maybe you struggling with or not sure what, what, where to go with. Leadership is not just a nation. Leadership comes all the way back to the home and your own life and leading your children. And how are you doing with that? And I give you the same words here that Asa gave to, excuse me, that, that, that Azariah gave to, to Asa. Be strong. Do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. And then what happened after that is, it's so beautiful. When Asa heard these words from the prophet Azariah, he took courage. He took courage. Now, if I can speak as Asa once again, believe me, we prophets weren't always appreciated by the kings. They saw us coming and ran the other way or wouldn't let us say anything. Or when we did, they didn't like it. And I guess there's a phrase you use today called shoot the messenger. That's pretty much what they wanted to do. But the message remained true if they shot the messenger or not. And so prophets were rejected and scorned and beaten and spit upon and jailed and even put to death for simply doing the work of God by giving him the message from God. So for me, to go before the king and to be able to give him courage and have him to appreciate that, oh, thank you, God. What a blessing. He listened to advice, and he brought people together. In the ninth verse, it focuses there about how the Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon settled among them. Now, if those names are strange to you, those are names of regions of either Judah or, or Israel. They are, they are the very names of the sons of Jacob that carried the, um, the, the tribes of Israel name. Uh, the exception is that um, Manasseh and Ephraim were actually sons of Joseph. So Joseph got two shares of the land, Levi and his tribe, they didn't get any land because they were the priestly tribe. So that's how the math all works out there. But the point, the point is this. These lands of Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon were actually in Israel in the north. And some of those people, seeing how great things were going down in the south in Judah, started to matriculate that way. 
because they saw how great a leader, how godly a leader Asa was. Asa, to his credit, didn't stop them at the border. He said, come on in. I'm not implying anything about Mexico right now, okay? Just make that clear one way or the other. That, that wasn't the point here. But the point is that for Asa, he welcomed them as brothers and sisters and, and welcomed their, their help with being God's people and carrying through the ways of God as Israelites. And then he also led his people to worship. And this is probably the most important thing that he did. It says in the 10th verse, they assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. At that time, they sacrificed to the Lord 700 head of cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had brought back. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. That's what they did together. And he led his people into a time of worship. Now, I know the whole sacrifice of hundreds and thousands of animals might be strange to you today, but that was the way we worshiped. That was the way we honored God. Because remember, as agrarian people, animals were valuable. So we're saying to God, yes, this is of value to me, but I give it over to you, God, because I trust you with my life, with my livelihood. So that's why animal sacrifice was a thing in part. But of course, as I know we're going to celebrate in a few moments when the Messiah finally came and became the ultimate sacrifice. He was the last sacrifice that ever had to be given. So that's not necessary anymore. But the point here from this passage is that Asa led the people to worship as we knew worship best. And that was so important. He didn't just come back from the victory of smashing all the high places and, and, and seeing God win this one battle that he had, he thanked God for it. He gave to the Lord from what they had gathered. And God blessed him and honored him for that. And lastly, Asa was fully committed to God. It says that several places, including the 17th verse, although he did not remove the high places from Israel, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. Now remember, Israel was not his kingdom. I'm sure Asa wanted to remove them if he could, but he didn't have that authority. But he did everything he could where he reigned over to bring the ways of God because he was fully committed to God. So what I want you to see as we wrap this time up this morning is, is the keys to peace for my time as a prophet during the reign of Asa and the keys to peace for you today, and not just for a nation, but peace within your world, within your context, wherever you're living, peace in your home, peace in your places of work, in your school. What are some key things to helping maintain that peace? So maybe one or two of these will stand out to you and you can kind of take home with you and prayerfully work on. Destroy idols, whatever they might be, wherever they're found. Asa went in and completely destroyed the idols of his time. What are the idols, especially in your heart, that might be there? Ask God about that to show you and get rid of that idol. Mend fences. He, instead of calling those that were worshiping at the high places his enemy, he welcomed them and helped them. 
He, was, he, he mended fences. He, he built relationships. He reconciled with them. That's always a good thing to do, an important thing for us to do. He prepared for battle. He was ready in case battle came. He didn't assume that he wouldn't. And when battle did, he asked God, are you trusting God with your battles? Are you going to work up all of your defenses and all the things you have to do to be ready for the kinds of battles you're facing and then forgetting to ask God to be in your plan? How about praying first and letting God show you the plan? Listen to godly advice. Who do you have in your life that can speak truth into your situation from the heart of God? I hope you have people like that. Welcome outsiders. Don't just close the door and think it's just us. And especially people that maybe, you know, have been at odds with you. Is there an open door at some point to say, hey, maybe we can, we can reconcile once again. Lead others to worship. Not just what happens here on Sunday morning in thousands of other locations throughout the world, but what happens in your home. The, the, the attitude that we bring, the food that we share, the, 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 the times of prayer, the times of studying the scriptures, the, the times of, of, of fellowship with other believers to talk about our faith and our struggles. That's all worship. All of it is. And so are you leading in that in some way in your life, leading others to worship? And lastly, fully commit yourself to God. As we go to the communion table in a moment and share together in the, in the bread and, and in the cup, Is there something from this list that stands out to you? Is there one thing that, okay, God, yeah, that's for me. I need to do that. I want peace in my life. I have a battle that I'm facing. I, I, I need to trust you more. I need to be more fully committed. Whatever it is that God is telling you, as you come to this table today, and as we partake together at the end of this time, Give that to him and ask him to help you. Praise team is going to come now and we're going to uh, sing together. And then I invite.